I did. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to things getting back to normal. Um, of course, normal is a relative term, so uh, up, to, up to what your standard of normal might be. Today, I want to introduce you to somebody that was brought. I've been encouraging people to bring visitors, not just invite them. And Tish Boss brought a visitor with us today. This is Smiley. Will everybody say hi to Smiley, please? Smile will be joining us uh, for the morning, and I promise you, even with Christmas lights and a Halloween skeleton up here, it's not going to get too weird, okay? I promise you on that one. Um, how many of you are excited that 2013's nearly 48 hours away or less? Yes. Yes, I am very excited about it, and, uh, you know, I am excited. I'm nervous. Um, a little bit mind-blown about what God's going to do in 2013, and I don't even know it yet. It, it's it's kind of blowing me away, and I'm, I'm a little bit excited about 2012 just to get over. Because I don't know about you, but 2012 has been kind of a crazy year. Kind of a mess in general, and I started looking at some different things. And as I looked at these different things, looking at 2012, we all know about eight days ago the world was supposed to end. So um, that in itself was, uh, was one of the things that was supposed to happen that thankfully did not. But I was at Sam's Club the other day. And I'm not sure if you've been in there, but they had giant tubs of one month of meals, like in a, in a giant thing. I don't know if they were selling that specifically for the end of the world or what it was, but it was just kind of funny to see that. Uh, another reason, wh- although, you know, if you really think about it, maybe the world kind of is in the process of ending. Because you know what the number one reality TV show was last year with over 2 million v- viewers uh, on a weekly basis? Pull it up for me, Rick, would you? That's right, Honey Boo Boo. Honey Boo Boo was the number one reality TV show on TLC. That, in itself, might be the sign of the end of the world. The other thing that might be a bad thing is this. Twinkies. 2012 was the last year we saw see Twinkies. Although I did hear that there are some different generic brands trying to buy the, uh, the Twinkie recipe, so we might still have Twinkies on the shelf, just not under the hostess name. Even the good things that happened, like the Olympics, in 2012, they had their, like, weird kind of flaws to it. I mean, when Gabby Douglas won the all-around to everything that was going on in, uh, with the gymnastics, all people could talk about wasn't the fact that she was able to do it, wasn't the fact that, that she accomplished such a great feat. It was her hair. That's what they talked about the whole time. I mean, 2012 was a little bit messed up. And then if you look even deeper into sports, how many of you guys remember, now this is the last, the last day of regular season football. Any Cowboy fans in here tonight? Uh-huh, yeah, you guys are excited about tonight, getting to watch the Redskins. It's a do-or-die game. Captain Clutch behind there taking the snaps. You're, you're excited. I know you are. Um, but I'm excited they moved it to the evening game because that means the Packers and Vikings will be on TV today. So do not bother me from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock. I'd appreciate that. Um, but I am, I am really, really excited. But I'm not sure if you remember back in 2012, at the beginning of the season, the mess that was what we call replacement officials. Would you pull that up for me, Rick? That's right. After further review, the runner did not touch second base. Touchdown Celtics. Um, the, uh, that was just a disaster in it all. Hockey is still on strike. Now, many of you probably don't care because you don't even know what hockey is. I could tell you, name five teams in hockey. You'd be like, um, yeah, that's it. So um, all those things are going on. And then, of course, politically, we're not even going to get into politically about all that stuff because it was just pure craziness. I think for the entire year, there was phone calls being called into my, you know, to, to give your opinions and all the things that took place and constantly negative ads. And I'm just looking forward to 2013 starting for them to start up again for 2016. Um, but then even in seriousness, 
If you if you stop for a second and, and think about the craziness that was 2012, so many mass shootings, too many. One is too many, but you've got to think there was one in Colorado. There was the one, obviously, in Connecticut. There was the one up in Oregon. There was the one that uh, just took place on Christmas Eve in New York with the, the firefighters. It's like, what in the world is going on? How is all this taking place? And the crazy part is, and you just think about that, you don't even think about all the wildfires that took place up in Colorado la- uh, during 2012 and, and Superstorm Sandy that wiped out so much stuff. And, and those don't even cross your mind. But the one thing that does is a question that rings true, I think, for all of us. And that is, is where are you, God? Why, what is going on here? Why aren't you a part of my life? I mean, I've seen the things you've done in the Bible. You do some crazy, amazing stuff. I mean, you made the Red Sea part. And you can't help fit some of this? What, what, where are you? And as we look at this from a whole different perspective, you know, even in our personal lives, I would be willing to bet some things have happened. I'd be willing to bet that you have probably asked that question at some point in time, at least in your life, but quite possibly in the last 12 months. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, I thought we had a relationship here. Does God even care about me? It's a question that we ask, and it keeps coming up, and... We get confused, we get angry, we get bitter, and so many things are going on all the time in our lives. And um, how many of you guys saw on on Friday that Vladimir Putin signed a uh, a thing about um, adoptions from Russia? That U.S. they were going to ban adoptions from Russia. Anybody see that on the news? Didn't make huge news. A lot of people didn't care. But we have a, a, a former youth uh, that uh, we had in our youth group in Phoenix, and he and his wife are actually adopting a Down syndrome baby from, from Russia in the middle of the process. They have gone over twice to see him. Uh, they are making connection. Things are taking place. This signature by Putin saying that because of something that the U.S. did that they want to get back at and all these kids that are over there, and, and some people think, well, why don't, we, why don't you adopt from here? And there's all kinds of different things, and I'm not going to get into any of that. But they're, they're being cut off. From the kid that, that they have obviously invested in financially, invested in emotionally, invested in spiritually. And now, there's a good chance that that's not going to happen for them. I can only imagine what's going on inside of them asking, why God, we're, we're here, we're doing this for you. This isn't even about us, this is about you. And, and, and reaching out to somebody who would know, probably not have a chance to hear about the gospel. And, and now this is happening, where are you God? Maybe 2012 brought something like that to you. You didn't see the divorce coming. You didn't see the layoff coming. You didn't see the medical report coming. You didn't see the death of that loved one. I don't know. But here's what it all boils down to, and these words are right here. It's a harsh reality. It's one of those things that I couldn't find a nicer way to say it, but life happens. Life happens, and I guess the question is, is what do you do when you get there? When you hit that point in your journey... 
that life happens. And something happens in your life that you weren't planning on, that you didn't want to happen. And what do you do? How do you, how do you take this on? And as we look towards 2013 and look back at 2012, this is a question I think we need to ask. Is what do we do when we get there? When life happens? Because God... We ask him, are you even up there? Do you even care? And it comes from the Christian side. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, we have that question. And we almost feel bad about it because we feel like, well, my faith must not be strong enough. And then there's the people that that don't follow Christ that maybe you're in here and we are glad that you were here. And it's one of those things that you're saying, I don't don't understand all this. If there really is a God, why would he let these things happen? The thing is, it's a legitimate question to ask. Even John the Baptist, who Jesus, in Luke chapter 7, calls the greatest man born of a woman. Jesus himself said that. But John, in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, questions if Jesus is a real deal or not. He questions it. There's a question that goes out there. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 7, verse 28 is when Jesus says that. Matthew 11 is when he's questioned because Je- John's sitting in prison. And John's sitting in prison, and he's, he's saying, God, are you really the one, or should we be waiting for somebody else? That question comes up, and if you haven't asked it yet, my guess is at some point in time in your life you will. And I think, I think today is a day that we're going to answer that question by looking at the Old Testament, and that's what this guy here is all about. You're probably still trying to figure out why I have a skeleton standing next to me. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles with you, go to Ezekiel chapter 37. If you do not have your Bibles with you, it'll be up here on the screen as well as in your bulletins. I put it in the, uh, the note page there. Because there's some things I'd love for you to circle, some things for you, I'd love for you to, to write down. And maybe you're one of those type of people that doesn't like to write in your Bible, so I've given you something to write on about it all. Ezekiel chapter 37, and as you go open it up there, what I'd like to do, I'd like to give you a little bit of background of how Ezekiel got called to what he was doing. God... Uh, had called his people, Israel, the Jews, out of Egypt. Egyptians were in slavery. You've probably heard about that with, with Moses. Moses went in and he took them out. He led them to the promised land. The promised land uh, was, this is obviously a very quick explanation of something that took a long period of time. But the, the uh, Israelites finally got to the promised land. And while in the promised land, God blessed them with that. And he also blessed them with a the king. That's what they had asked for. So that's what he had given them. But the problem was, For over 100 years, they were in there, and they were doing what they were doing, and they started to turn away from God. So they went from being in captivity in Egypt to the promised land and having a king to back to being in captivity. And this part you probably have picked up before from the book of Daniel. You've heard about the king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar went in. The Babylonians went in and invaded Israel. They reduced Solomon's temple to ashes and had taken many of the Jewish people back to Babylon as captives. So this is where Ezekiel comes in. Ezekiel was a priest, and he was called by God to become a prophet, to share, to preach to the nation of Israel, to bring them back out of slavery. And the thing is, is is the picture we need to get here is, is the lifelessness of Israel, the lostness of Israel, the being dead and separated from God. That is the picture that we need to see here. And as we look at it, God has a vision for Ezekiel. God has a vision for Ezekiel, and honestly, if you've ever read this before, it is not a normal vision. If you were into the paranormal, freaky, weird, creepy Halloween horror movies, this is your story. 
Okay, this is what you want to hear. I'm not into that stuff. That stuff makes me stay awake at night and hear every creak. Okay, but this story might be something that, that kind of, ooh, this is kind of cool. That's in the Bible. Great. So here it is. Verse 1, Ezekiel, chapter 37. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. We're going to pause right here for a second because as you look, as you think about Ezekiel, put yourself in his shoes. You were just doing your job. You were just doing your priestly duties. You were just being there for the Israelite people, and God calls you out, and he takes you, and he places you in the middle of a giant, widespread valley full of dry, dead bones, okay? I don't know if I want that in my job description, going from normal to that, okay? And God sets him down, and this is what he says. He said, he led me back and forth among them. So he's out there walking in this giant valley. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very what? dry. Bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Son of man, can these bones live? Pause right there. If you were Ezekiel, if you were being walked around with God, how would you answer that question? In all honesty, there's the yes And then there's the no, and then there's the answer that Ezekiel gave that we all need to learn. Because the yes would be the typical Christian answer, the the, the church answer. Because, yeah, God, all things are possible with you. We say it, but many, many times in our lives we don't actually believe it. We say it because it's there. Then there's the no. You're standing face to face with God, and you say, God, no, these bones can't live. And God's like, who are you talking to? And then there's the third option that is the best option that Ezekiel had. And here it is. I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Basically, I don't know, what do you think? You have to think this one little passage right here is a great illustration that the Bible is true. Because if I'm writing my own book, and it's going to be called, well, I guess it has to be second Matthew, but if I'm writing my own book and I'm writing about myself here, do you think I'm going to make myself look like a hero? Yes. Do I think I'm going to be the guy that's like, I don't know. No, I'm not going to write that in there. So this, this gives us a clear indication that the Bible really is real and that not everybody's out there to be made a hero. He tells the very truth. I have no idea, he says. What do you think? Then God said to me in verse 4, prophesy to these bones. Preach to the bones. Stand up and give a message to the bones. If God told you to do that, Most of you don't like to talk to live people. But if you're talking to bones, what are you going to be thinking? God, what is wrong with you? This is a crazy thought. I can't, I mean, they don't even have ears. Why why don't I want to talk to them? I mean, look, you're talking to that. And you're preaching to that. And say to them, dry bones, hear. Okay, difficulty to hear when there's no ears. Hear the word of the Lord. What's after the word Lord there? What is that? Come on, English majors. What's that after the Lord? It was an exclamation point, which means do what? Was a passion. Hear the word of the Lord. That is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I 
Get that? Circle that? Underline that? I, being God, will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I, I, I. God says, Ezekiel, be the instrument. I'm going to take care of the rest. Do what I told you to do. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I did what I was told even though I had no idea what I was told. I have no idea why I was being told that. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. A rattling. I, sorry, Tish, my bad. You said it would fall off eventually. He's just got TMJ. We can get it fixed. Um, the prophesying, there was a noise. Now, I just want you to, just for a second, as you stare at the face falling apart, I want you to, to picture there's, there's bones scattered out all over this cafeteria, okay? And there's a rattling noise. And then there's a, a wetness in your shorts. And there's a... Bones start... And they start con- connecting. And, and they're forming. And you're like, wait. Wh- huh? Most of us probably would run. Me being number one. I'd be the leader. I've always felt that... I don't have to be fastest person out there. I just have to be the fastest and the, faster than the last person because that's the one they're going to get. Um, he says, I prophesied and there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now tell me, this is the middle of an old battlefield. Dry bones, and that means the weather and the elements and everything's all crusty and dusty, and and there's a noise, and things start coming together, and flesh, flesh, and tendons start appearing. Anybody else that's a little bit freaked out by this? I mean, I'd love to see the movie version of all. It'd be really kind of cool. But flesh and and things start appearing, but they're just kind of hanging there because I said there's no breath in them. We move on to the next verse, in verse 9, And then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. He's still probably trying to question it, but he realized that when he prophesied the last time, things happened, so let's see what happens. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast what? A vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, and listen here, this is where today's question comes in. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. Where are you, God? I have no hope whatsoever. Our bones are dry. And maybe this is where we fit into the story right here. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people... I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. That's a powerful story right there. I could be done. I don't have to say anything else. I think God's speaking already. Our bones have dried up and we are hopeless. And God's response is, as long as I am on the throne, 
there's hope. As long as I am ruler, there is hope. He is the hope for the hopeless. And that includes us. Not just Israel. That includes us. When we question, where are you, God? We need to remember two things. And two things only today. Two points. Very simple there on your note sheet. The first one is this. And this one, if you tune out, if you have ADD and all you're doing is staring at the fact that that jaw is falling off, it's keep catching the corner of my eye so I know what you're feeling. First one is this. Most important one. If you don't get anything else today, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Plain, simple, honest. Jesus cares. He really does. He's not like people who say they care, but kind of just listen to you and then blow you off later or say, hey, yeah, we're going to be praying for you, but don't ever really pray for you. That's not Jesus. Because let's be honest. There are things in my life that are going on that you don't care about. And there are things in your life that are going on that I don't care about. And I know that sounds harsh, and that sounds like, wow, I can't believe he just said he doesn't care about me. I didn't say he didn't care about you. But there's things in our lives that really just don't create a passion or care. And that's the the honest truth, and there was a nicer way for me to find out how to say that. I thought about it. I tried to figure it out. But really, that's what it boils down to. But that is not Jesus. That is not where Jesus falls at in all of this. We lump Jesus into that when we feel abandoned. And we lump God into the he doesn't care category. And you know what? That's wrong. It's wrong thinking and it's wrong theology. Because Jesus cares. And this is the reason why I think we do that. Because each and every one of us in here has a history. Each and every one of us has a story of where we came from, the things that have happened in that story, and we're upset at God for putting us through this or putting us through that, or the fact we are currently right in the middle of it. And we say, God, you don't care. You've abandoned us. But the problem is is that we look at our story instead of at our Savior. We look at our story instead of our Savior because when we look at our story, we can say, poor, poor, pitiful me. Wallow in our misery and say, my life is terrible. But when we look at our Savior, we can say, man, I'm worth one Jesus to God. And that's a huge thing. And we realize that we're worth one Jesus to God. It changes everything. And we realize there is always hope. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, we have at least one thing. You and me. We have at least one thing in common. And that's the fact that God changed our story. He changed us from being hopeless to full of hope. He changed us from being dead to alive. He breathed life into these bones. And you may be thinking, well, dead, what do you exactly mean? Guess what? You were dead. Before Christ, you were dead. You weren't just dealing with some issues or having some troubles. You were dead. Spiritually. And guess what? Here's something else that I'm going to say, and it's going to be not politically correct and might even hurt somebody's feelings, and I apologize for it, but the Bible isn't always lollipops and rainbows. If you do not know Christ, you are dead. And if your neighbors do not know Christ, or if your family does not know Christ, they are dead. They are spiritually without God. We are born dead. We are born sinners. And sinners equal death. Sin equals death. The Bible's very clear on that. I've never had to teach my kids to lie. I've never had to teach you to. 
I've never had to teach myself. It just happens because we are sinners. Look what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, As for you, you were what? Dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live before Christ. You followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. So all of us at one time were dead, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. At one point in life, every single one of us in this room was dead spiritually. Even if you thought, oh, I've always been a good person, I'm here to tell you that was not good enough. We are spiritually dead without Christ. And this is a passage of Ezekiel. Let me ask you a question. I think I emphasized it enough while reading it. Who brought the dead back to life? Who brought the dead back to life? God. God did it. It wasn't us. It wasn't a bunch of bones in the valley. He said, you know what, guys? Let's get together. We're going to have a little small group. We're going to start We're going to start talking and trying to be better about ourselves. And, and flesh and bones came together and breath was breathed into it because they tried to be better bones. That didn't happen. It's because God was spoken through Ezekiel. And life came back to them. And that is when the mercy of God poured out. And when we focus on the story of our lives, instead of focusing on the things that are negative, we need to focus on that, that God brought life back to us. And some people might say, well, you know what? It was my decision when I finally did it. I raised my hand when I was a teenager. I, I, um, I walked forward. I prayed that magical prayer. Let me just give you a quick illustration on that one. Smiley, raise your hand for your decision, would you? Nothing, nothing yet. Hang on. Come on. At least walk forward. Walk the aisle for me. I mean, you're kind of standing with the help of something being shoved up here. Uh, <laughs> nothing. Nothing. What? What was it that brought us to Jesus? It was God opening our eyes and God showing our hearts and our minds who he was and, and moving and, and, and building us and breathing life into us to be able to make that decision, be able to follow him. It was by the supernatural power that God used to open our hearts and our minds, those, those eyes that we saw in Ezekiel. God wants you to be his. God wants you to be his. He has brought you from death to life, because, and because of that, it shows that he obviously cares about every aspect of our lives. He knows it better than we do. And the greatest thing you can know today is that Jesus cares about you. No matter what you think, no matter whatever your circumstances are, Jesus cares about you. And the second thing that I want you to see here is that if you're missing that somehow or another, how does God care about me? How about this? A bloodstained cross in an empty tomb. That should be the answer to your question. A bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. Jesus cares about you. We must understand that we are not defined by our story. We are defined by our Savior. 
Jesus cares. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he what? Cares for you. Because he cares for you. As a matter of fact, if you take that, I looked up anxiety and looked up the synonyms. Pain, doubt, cares, trouble, misery, panic, distress, all synonyms for anxiety. Cast all your pain, cast all your doubt, cast all your cares, cast all your trouble, misery, panic, distress on him because he cares for you. He is there. He cares. In the story, God moved when the situation seemed most hopeless. And in our lives, it can be the same. When things seem most hopeless, it seems like that's when people turn to God and cast their cares on Him. Your story says, I'm alone, but your Savior Savior says, I'll never leave you. Your story says, that is impossible, but your Savior says, nothing is impossible with me. God has an amazing history of bringing the dead back to life. And we are part of that. Jesus cares, which leads us to number two. Jesus cares, so we should too. We should care too. We should care too. If Jesus cares, we should care too. I mean, it it really boils right down to it. If we are spending time with Jesus, if we say we have a relationship with him and we are spending time with him, what he cares about should be about what we care about. Let me give you an example. Four years ago, I could care or couldn't care less about Disney princesses. Four years ago, no desire to know about them. Now, ask me questions. I bet I can answer them for you. I could tell you all about Rapunzel. I can tell you all about Jasmine and Aladdin. I can tell you all about Rapunzel's man friend, Flynn Rider. Yeah, how many of you guys in here know what the beast's real name is? That's right, it's Prince Adam, but it's not in the movie because I've watched the special things that go under in the Blu-ray while I'm watching it with Maylee. I know these things. That would not be true very long ago. But because she cares, I care. Because she wants to talk about it, I want to talk about it. It's the same way with cars and my boys and Legos and my boys. Those things weren't things that I was real deep into, but that's what they want to talk about, so that's what we talk about. And I care because they care, and it should be the same thing with Jesus. When you get to know someone and what they care about, you begin to care about it even more. Jesus cares for the dead. He cares for the spiritually lost. So should we. You go back to that story, back to the vision that Ezekiel had when the bones and the life all came back together and the flesh was on it and they breathed breath into it. It formed a what? A vast what? You guys remember? Army. A vast army. It formed a vast army. When you think of the word army, what is it that you think of? You think of conquer, defend, win. We don't form armies to fight within the ranks. We don't form armies to have battalions that don't like what this battalion is doing because they raise their hands during worship. Oh, wait, did I say, hang on. That's not what I meant. I meant I was still in the, the army mode, not church mode. But, you know, we fight among each other. God did not raise the church up to be a bunch of people who fight with each other. And he didn't raise the church up to spend 30 years reading how to fight in the manual and never actually do it. He wants us to go. He wants us to reach out to the lost. That is what he has called us to do. He has created us the church to be an army, to go and fight. We've experienced transformation from death into life, and we need to go, and we need to conquer, and we need to reach out. Guess what? Hope changed me. Jesus 
changed me, and he's still changing me. And I was dead until somebody told me about the gospel of Christ, until somebody shared the gospel of Christ with me. I was dead. So were you. And there are people outside these walls that do not know Christ. They do not know hope. They are struggling. The question is, are we going to reach them? Are we going to reach them? Are we going to share Christ with them? That is a legitimate question for 2013. That's a legitimate question for this afternoon. But for 2013, are we going to share Christ with people? Because if not, if Paragon Church says, you know what, we're doing just fine how we are. We're enjoying just meeting in a cafeteria. We've got some great friendships here. We're enjoying that part of it all. If you say, no, we're not going to do it, we don't need to be here. We don't need to be here. We don't need to set up. We don't need to do stuff for the kids. We don't need to have messages and fun music and clap and do those things. We don't need that. Because that's not what God's called us to do. That's a part of it, but that's not it. We are supposed to go and we're supposed to reach out to people. And we're supposed to share Christ with people. And that is the reason why Paragon Church exists. And that is what 2013 is going to be all about. Next week, we're talking about going all in. All in. You're all. Everything. Look inside your bulletins there. I explained what all means in case you don't know. All in. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what God is going to do. Nervous too. Because going all in means that you don't leave anything back. It's kind of like bungee jumping without a bungee. You know, it, it's going all in. There's no safety net. Why do people out there not know Christ? Why do they not know hope? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Three things that I want to wrap up with. It's because they don't know. They don't know that they're dead. They don't know that they can be alive in Christ. Nobody's ever shared that with them. They don't get it in the, in the worship songs that play on the, the infomercial at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's not something that they're, they're grasping. They don't know. And sometimes when we don't know something, it can hurt us. Let me give you a great example, okay? One of the last Easter's I spent in Phoenix, um, my aunt made deviled eggs. I have a weakness for deviled eggs. Now, I'm not a deviled egg eater where I nibble it like some people do. I'm a whole in. It's done. Okay, that's how I eat a deviled egg. Unfortunately, my aunt, um, who is a great cook. I mean, anytime I go spend the night at my cousin's house, man, I knew I was going to get some good meals while I was over there. This particular Easter morning, she had um, partaken in uh, some fellowship with Jack Daniels, okay? And uh, quite a bit of fellowship, actually, as according to the bottle. And um, instead of grabbing the typical mayonnaise that you would mix in with the egg yolk, she grabbed horseradish, okay? I did not know that she had grabbed horseradish. When I say not knowing will hurt you, I'm not lying. Some people say, hey, something wrong with the eggs. I'm like, away. I'm just going to get a little graphic on you. There's a little snot party going on because things started just draining out of my face. It was, I was crying. I was hurting. I did not know that pain was there. And I really, truly believe that's the same way it is. 
in this world that people do not know that they are dead. They don't know, and it's going to hurt them. We have to preach the word. Some of us may make excuses and say, you know what? I don't want to offend them. Trust me, I think you'd rather offend them now than on the other side when they're staring up at you. Saying, why didn't you tell me? And now it's too late. The book of Romans and Ezekiel is a great example. It's not just about how we live either. We actually have to preach the word. We have to share the gospel with them. The second thing is, not only do they not know, they don't believe. They don't believe that they can be saved by a God. They think they have too much baggage, too much trouble, too much going on in their lives, that there's no way that a God can love them. But let me say, if you are in here right now, and that's the way that you're thinking, let me ask you a question. Some of you might be a little bit shady. But let me ask you a question if you're this shady. My guess is not, none of you in here have had an affair on your spouse. And then when you had that affair, you um, took the spouse of the person you had the affair with and you uh, decided to, the best way to eliminate them was to murder them. If you did, we need to talk. But you may be thinking, no, I'm not, I'm not that bad. And I don't think my neighbor's that bad either. Well, you know who that is in the Bible? David. King David, a man after God's own heart. You're not too shady. You're not too far gone for God to love you, to care about you, to reach out and save you. Those dry bones, the weathered elements, all the things that have happened to them, God still is able to breathe life into them, and he can do it for you as well. And the last thing is, is we won't go. We won't go. We don't go. We, we're comfortable where we are. You know what I love about the wintertime? I love getting into my bed and pulling the sheets up to my neck and not moving until the morning. I like the house to be cold. I believe it's set at 66. Some of you are probably even lower than that. But I like it to be, I like to be if, if ever me, it'd be like 50s and see your breath kind of thing. Because I, I am fine just being all bundled up in there. But I don't want to get out of bed. And when Maylee calls, Dad, Mom, I'm like, I don't move. I let Christy get up. <laughs> Same thing when the boys come in. I, I don't want to get out of bed. I think sometimes in the church, that's how we are too. We're very comfortable where we're at. This is good. I'm excited to be here. I like this. But going out there, that's a little bit different. It's a little bit crazy. We have to remember, though, that Jesus got out of heaven for us to save us. I think it'd be easy for us to get out of the church, out of our comfort zone, and save, go and, and reach people for Him. I'm excited about what 2013 has to hold, and I'm here to tell you right now, I'm looking forward to going all in. Because the people that are in my neighborhood, there's a lot of dry bones in there. And the people that are in my city of Rio Rancho, there's a lot of dry bones in here. And the people that are maybe in your city of of Albuquerque or Placidas or wherever it is that you're from, whatever area that you're from, there are dry bones everywhere that need life breathed into them. And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach it?
God is calling you like he spoke to Ezekiel. You might not have any idea how. You might not have any idea why. But God is calling you to awake your soul. So maybe you're the one with dry bones. You've been a Christian for a long time, but you're just not feeling it with God. And you've got this dryness inside. Maybe he's calling you to awake your soul. Maybe he's calling you to wake up. And go and share that. And just like Ezekiel's like, wait, you want me to talk to them? They don't even listen. They don't even have ears to hear. Well, you might be saying that about your neighbor who you've shared with a million times. Pray that God speaks through you and breathes life into them.